1 Timothy chapter 6. Let all who are under your yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honour, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better, since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. Teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honour and eternal dominion. Amen. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so they may take hold of that which is truly life. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. Churches, they're just after your money. They just want your money. Have you ever thought that? Or heard others say it? Or maybe you've actually experienced it. So in some cases, it really must be true. People have been put off by churches and church leaders who turn out to be after their own gain, financial or otherwise, haven't they? In our day, we call it the prosperity gospel. And it's a good name for it. Because it offers riches, that's the prosperity part, with Jesus, that's the gospel part. Riches with Jesus. But it's mostly about riches, so that comes first. This is nothing new, and the Bible doesn't try to ignore it. It actually predicts it, and it warns against it. Timothy was coming up against his own popular get-rich gospel. 
teachers. Paul writes to warn him what they're like and what they teach. So that's what we'll be learning as well. We'll see the dangers of their teaching and the damage caused by a love for money. And then we'll see the wonderful truth that leads to godliness. Let's start then by looking at the false teachers in verses 3 to 5. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. These guys, they're, they're full of themselves. These are the people that everyone's drawn to. You know, the really confident people. The ones who can speak eloquently and, you know, you just think, oh, I want to be like them. They're full of themselves, brimming with confidence. Why? Well, it's so that people buy their unique and exclusive offer. They'll draw your attention to the distinctions in their product. They're different from everyone else. And they springs with it. A whole lot of disunity. Uh, if you can see that in verse, uh, five, verse 4. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction. They love it when people disagree, because that means that, um, that they might actually see theirs as being the best way. And they promote that. Okay? But actually, the most damning statement about these guys is that they're bankrupt. Okay? You're thinking, what? Bankrupt? They've got loads of money. No, they're bankrupt. That's what the Bible says. In verse 4, it says, they understand nothing. They're bankrupt of the truth. They understand nothing. In verse 5, it says, they're depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. So what do they teach then? This is what I put. What you really need is me. That's what they want you to think. What you really need is me. Verse 5. What do they teach? Well, just look at verse 3 first of all. They certainly don't teach. Uh, they don't want anything to do with the sound teaching of Jesus. In verse 3. In verse 5, they, they push this idea, right? And this idea is this, that as your riches go up, so does your godliness. Or the other way around, as your godliness goes up, so does your bank balance. Okay? That's what they, they teach. They teach that godliness is a means of gain. So they might say something like, listen to me. Listen to my teaching. And God, he'll make you successful. That job you want? You can have it. Listen to me. They might say, well, if you're rich, God is blessing you. God is pleased with you because you've got that job. So you see what they're doing? They're putting the godliness and gain together. They're saying that actually those two things go together. Well, godliness in that case is just a means to an end, isn't it? And the, the end is money. That's what people want. So we can see their teaching, can't we? We can see that that's what they're teaching in 1 Timothy. 
But, and this is the big warning, isn't it? What happens if we pursue money? Have you ever thought that? Thought about that? What happens if I pursue money? Well, we're told, aren't we, in verses 9 to 10. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Well, like this picture, they say, Paul says, this ambition is a trap. It's a trap. And from the next, those two verses, it describes, doesn't it, a downward journey. So what's at the top? Well, after you've taken the bait for money, pursuing money, your harmful desires take over. If you've got money, and, and you've got lots of it, we, all, we, all, we can all guess, can't we, what harmful desires might take over. It wouldn't take us long to make a list, would it? What would we say? What would we say? But, but what kind of desires might take over? Greed got you there? What, what, what might take over from that point? Come. Sorry? Pleasures. What kind of pleasures? Sex. Sex, drugs, rock and roll, yeah. Um, gambling. Gambling. Prostitution. Alcoholism. Drugs. And that's just the blokes. How about adultery? Some other things. Well, we often think, don't we, if only I won the lottery. But then we stop there. But this helps us fill in the picture of what that would really look like. And it's not a pretty picture, is it? So here you see the downward journey. Harmful desires lead. Um, it doesn't stop there with the harmful desires because their senseless desires will not let up until they are plunged into destruction and ruin. Until they're plunged into destruction and ruin. Uh, We're talking about the love of money and where it leads. Um, So it starts off with your harmful desires. Uh, We just talked about lots of desires that might take over when you have a lot of money. Um, They plunge you into destruction and ruin eventually, maybe not at first. Um, and then actually it says this which is probably the most misquoted verse in the Bible it says the love of money is the root of all evil it's misquoted but it says the love of money is the root of all evil (coughs) so every kind of evil in this world and in our lives can be tracked back to a love for money either in us or in someone else that's amazing isn't it to think of Every kind of evil, this is what it's saying, can be tracked back to a love of money, either in me, you, or someone else. But where does it take us to? We're still going down. Where does it take us to spiritually? Can anyone see that in that verse? End of verse 10. Shout out if you can. Right. So it actually, you know where you're going to abandon the faith. You're going to say, I don't want anything to do with God anymore. You're going to be nowhere spiritually. So it's pretty bleak, isn't it, this picture? 
The beauty of money might look great, but actually the reality, gosh, can be further from the truth. And that's why, in verse 11, Paul says this. He says, run, flee, flee from these things. Don't chase after them, run away from them. The pursuit of money, that's, this is what happens when you pursue money. When you make money your God, this is what happens. Well, verses 6 and 10 begin with the word but. It introduces us to a different way. And when we've heard something this kind of dreadful, we're, we're just looking out for some good news, aren't we? We just want an alternative. Well, Paul says there is. There is another way. You don't have to go for the trap. You don't have to fall into temptation and pursue money. What is it in verse 6 that Paul says is great gain? Jade, what do you reckon? Verse 6. Godliness with contentment. So it's godliness with contentment. It's great going here. Yeah. Um, well, that's on there. So why, why does Paul say... God? That's a bit weird, isn't it? You don't expect to hear that. It's not what we expected. Godliness with contentment. The great gain for your life, for my life, for the life of your children, is godliness with contentment. Mm-hmm. Sounds a bit weird. Well, he tells us why, doesn't he? In verse 7 and verse 8. And the first picture we get is of a baby. In verse 7 it says, For we brought nothing into the world. And we'll take, and what does it say after that? And we can take nothing out of the world. We can kind of take anything out of the world. So it gives us two pictures, the baby and the coffin. And it puts a sobering perspective on things, doesn't it? Well, firstly it tells us that our motivation has to be something more than money. It has to be. Because, we, we, to my knowledge, no one pops out of the womb holding a 50 pound note. Not even Mark. No, they start with nothing. Not even clothes. Naked. And even the most successful multi-millionaire starts here and ends up here. It's sobering, isn't it? So we don't take any of it with us when we die. We just don't. That's the truth. So, Paul asks, what does a baby need? Well, this is good training for me, for July. So I racked my brains. I was like, what does a baby need? What does a baby need? What does a baby need? I should know this. I should know this. And then I just looked at verse 8. Because, oh, yeah. But if we have food and clothing, with these we'll be content. So, what does a baby need? A baby needs food, I think, and clothing. That's what a baby needs. And the clothing part includes shelter, doesn't it? Food and clothing. Uh, Well, Paul says we will be content. Paul says we'll be content in those things. Simple. We'll be content with those things. 
Life would be a lot simpler, wouldn't it, if we were content in those things. Food and clothing, that's what we need. So this is actually the big difference between Jesus and the false teachers of the day. With Jesus, with false teachers, the big focus is always what? Is this life? Yeah. Focus on this life. You've got to get more in this life. Well, Paul says, what do you absolutely need? You just need food and clothing and shelter. That's it. That's what you actually need. But Jesus and godliness, they will prepare you for the life to come. This godliness, as we read on in verse 11 and 12, will prepare you for the life to come. It leads to eternal life. So you get that word in verse 11. But flee from these things. And next it says, pursue, chase after, and it says, righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. That's what you're to run after, Timothy. That's what you're to chase. And then in verse 12 it says, take hold of, in the same way as you might like to get your hands on some, some money, take hold of, what is it? Eternal life. This is the difference. This is, you know, Paul is not saying, "I'll oh, ditch that version of Christianity and come to this one; you won't get anything out of it." He's saying it's great gain. It's the most gain for you because you will, if you pursue godliness, you will take hold of eternal life. It's amazing. And that's what the false teachers won't be talking so much about. You won't hear them talk about the life to come really that much. You won't hear the, hear the big offer as being eternal life. You'll hear loads of other things before you get there. And it's what their hearers as well. This is really the dangerous thing. It's what their hearers will be missing out on. Because anyone listening to them will be missing out on this offer, this greater offer of eternal life. So where does this godliness come from? Well, in verse 3, it says that it, this, the teaching that accords with godliness. So where does godliness come from? How do we become godly? Is it just a magic wand? Is it a certain drink? What is it? No, it comes from teaching. And this is the big thing, if we get this right, that if we hear the truth, then we'll, become, we'll walk in the truth. And that will look like living the right way. So what is the truth that leads to godliness? Well, I think it says it here, doesn't it, in verse um, 13 and 14. In verse 13 it says, uh, Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession... So the truth is from Jesus. And that's in verse 3 as well, isn't it? The sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ is the teaching that accords with godliness. So it's from Jesus, the truth. His teaching. 
That's the truth that leads to godliness. And it's about him too. In verse 14. To keep the commandments unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the big truth that we need to get in perspective is that Jesus is coming back. And it's his commandment, it's his teaching that he's going to be concerned with what people have done with it. Have they sidelined it? Have they distorted it? Have they used it for their own gain? He's not going to be happy with that. So Jesus is coming back. That's the big truth that leads to godliness. And I think if I live my life with the knowledge each day that Jesus is coming back, you would notice the difference. You would notice the difference in me if I lived every day knowing that Jesus is coming back, living that way. So it's a truth that leads to godliness. It's not a magic wand. It's not a special drink. It's teaching that leads to godliness. And so actually, even though this might seem a bit weird to you, sitting here listening to something from the Bible, looking at a page, reading, that's what will bring godliness to your life. And this godliness doesn't stop there. This godliness will lead to eternal life because of the truth about Jesus and who he is. So let's get some applications from this. Oh, sorry. Um, what if you're new to church? Well, I hope you can see from this letter that the Bible doesn't ignore the fact that people think church is after your money. And you can see that actually, if, if this is a problem inside the church, then it's definitely a problem out, outside, everywhere. It's a big problem. And the problem is but the pursuit of money, the love of money. It's the root of all kinds of evil. It will lead people to ruin and destruction. And actually, at the end of the day, within churches, it will hurt people to the point, it will give them so much injury and hurt them so much that they won't want to go back to church, they won't want to be part of it again. And that's what we increasingly find, isn't it? Um, but will you take, if you're new to church, will you take home a greater desire with you tonight? The greatest desire, not for something that, will, that won't last, for something for, like godliness, because that will lead to eternal life. Take home that desire. Ask God for that good desire. It's the greatest desire for you, and it's the greatest gain to be had. But maybe you're, you've been sitting there thinking, oh, if only you saw my bank balance. <laughs> I'm not rich. I don't have that problem yet. But first, we need this chapter, don't we, to test our love for money in two ways. First, uh, first then, we, is, is the area of work. Um, so if you look at verse, verses 1 and 2, it's the area of work. We need to test, do we have a love for money? If I asked you, why do you do the job that you do? What would be the number one answer? What would you throw back at me if I asked that quickly when you're off the cuff? Well, would your answer be money? It might be. But in verse 1 and 2, Paul encourages believers to work hard 
with all respect for their employers. But notice it's not for the promotion or the pay increase, but it's so that it will bring honour to God's word and God's name. It's an entirely different reason. Christians, believers, followers of Jesus, will want to work for a different reason. They, they see the opportunity for, a wit, for witness in what they do each day. And they want to be a blessing to others, whether they believe or not. This includes protecting God's name, not cutting corners. If you're only thinking about, if you're sitting there and you're probably only thinking about what you can get out of your job, then maybe you need the truth, this truth that leads to godliness. And the second area then. So it's true, isn't it? Our salaries do go mostly towards food, clothing and shelter. But we often have some left over. A little bit of spending money, yeah? And that actually probably means we're richer than we think we are. So even though we might be sitting there thinking, you're talking to the wrong person. We pl- salaries go on food, clothing, shelter, but we have some left over. So let me ask you the number two, which is towards the end of our passage that we read. And it's this, generosity. Let me ask you, how is your generosity? Let you ask me, how is my generosity? Don't hear Paul say that godliness never includes giving to church or other people. Don't hear him say that. Sure, he's saying there's some people who just want to get your money. But godliness includes the wanting to give, being generous. We see that in those verses, don't we? In verse 17, it says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty or arrogant, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves a treasure as a good foundation for the future, so they may take hold of that which is truly life. Take holding of eternal life again. So how's your generosity? The true believer, I think, won't want to keep everything back for themselves. They'll actually have a desire, even a small desire, and a growing desire, that they'll want to give. So that they can grow in godliness. Because that's what God's like. We've sung about it, haven't we? God is a giver. If you want to be like God, that's what God's like. And it's a real challenge to me, I tell you. Am I always ready to share what I own? Do I actually want to share the things I'm really precious about? Uh, Do I want to be generous and not stingy? I think I'm often quite stingy. Well... If that's you, and you started off thinking, I'm not rich, but now you can see that you probably are richer than you think. And maybe you can see there's areas of your life where you are pursuing money, whether it's work or whether it's in your generosity, in your giving. Maybe there's no giving. And money is really hard for you to give away. 
Well, why didn't you ask God for that desire today? The desire, greatest desire for godliness. Why don't you pray that? Uh, what about, and, and that includes all of us, um, and actually, if you're a believer here today, I hope you can see that money actually is more of an enemy than a friend. We sort of like to think that money will do great things for us. But actually, if we love it, it will do the opposite. Um, and sometimes we think that we can have both. And this is a tricky bit, right? Because you might want to grow in godliness, you might want to be more loving, more, more gentle. You might really want that. But you might think as well, oh, can't I just go for both? Can you see from here that it, they're going in completely opposite directions? The desire to be rich and the desire to be godly are incompatible. You're either going this way or you're going that way. You can have both. It's not wrong to be rich. It's not ungodly to be rich. Some people end up with a lot of money. Rich. You can have both, but you can't go for both. If you pursue both, you'll end up pursuing money. So you, so go for the bigger desire. Go for the bigger desire to pursue godliness. And maybe if you dream about the wrong things, ask yourself. Anyone here got children? For example, you might ask yourself, well, what do I want for my kids? Do I want contentment? Or do I want the lucrative career? Be honest. And is the no sometimes to what they want, mummy, 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 is the no because we can't afford it? Or is it ever because we can be content without it? Godliness with contentment is great gain. So we need to teach them. And you can ask God to help you dream that for your children. Dream about them being godly and content. Let me pray and then we'll take some questions. Father God, would you help to bring to light the things that um, we should uh, bring back to you uh, in prayer, think about, uh, chew over, ask some deeper questions, check uh, what our real motives are. Would you, would you help us to do that humbly, um, to not ignore you or to ignore the truth that is good for us? And we pray that we would grow in godliness, that we would pursue it at all costs, and that we would help each other to pursue it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is working, I don't know.